Welcome to A Longer Table Podcast, a space where curiosity and proximity will challenge everything you thought you knew. I'm your host, Amanda Carpenter, inviting you to pull up a seat. You just might leave thinking, maybe we're not so different. My favorite pieces of my wardrobe come from Abel. Not only is every piece super cute and high quality, but there's a meaningful mission behind this woman-run company. Able is making the table longer by adding more sizes. They offer apparel in double extra small to 3X. And I have to tell you about their size swap program. It's simple yet profound. When your size changes, such as postpartum, or when you've gone through a long period of grief, when you've started a new workout routine, Able will allow you to swap yours for another size. Take a look at their Basics We Love section, and you'll see a lot of the things I wear every day. Next time you're in need of a new pair of pants or tops, shop ableclothing.com and use code ALONGERTABLE15 for 15% off. Today, my friend Jen joins me at the table to talk about her journey as a mom of children with special needs. Jen and I talk about how we can raise inclusive kids, but this episode is for you even if you don't have children, um, because it's really a great reminder that people want to be included, and then Jen really gives us a couple of practical ways of how we can be more inclusive and things we can um, do and say to show love and engage with people who might be different from us or have challenges that are different from us. In addition to the conversation, we've linked a bunch of resources in the show notes that we'd love for you to check out. These were sent to us from Jen herself. So I hope you enjoy this one. Jen, I'm so excited we're having this conversation. Thanks for joining us. I'm so excited too. Thanks for having me. If only we were just a couple hours closer. San Diego and LA, we could just be doing this in person. But hey, I feel like, (laughs) are you guys by the beach? We're by the beach. We are not. We're on the east side of LA. We're in Echo Park area. Okay. But it's been raining nonstop here, which is not normal. (laughs) Yeah, same. Actually, the sun is out today. And I I had this thought. I was like, I want to go for a walk. Like I feel like I've been cooped up because yeah, it never it never rains here. And then also the city is not built for the rain and like the flooding. And so it's just craziness. I know. I know. One day of rain and everything is flooded. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm really excited to talk about parenting and specifically parenting children with special needs. So I thought maybe it'd be a good place to start with, you know, how many kids do you have? How old are they? If you could give us just like a snapshot of your family. Yes. Um, My husband and I have been married almost 10 years and we've been in San Diego the whole time. I have an eight-year-old, a six-year-old, and I don't know if you can hear my four-year-old screaming. (laughs) She's um, having a bit of a mental crisis. But um, Uh, our children are Isla, Gunner, and Raylan, and my two older children are um, considered neurodiverse. And so, my two older children have a rare chromosome abnormality, which puts them in the category of rare chromosome diseases, medical complexities. And then um, my middle son, or my middle child, my son, he around two years old regressed really significantly to the point where his pediatrician thought he had a stroke, which I was just like a really young mother. I was only 29. And, um, just hearing those words kind of sent me into a spiral and he did not have a stroke, but through that process, going through that with our pediatrician, who also just happened to be a geneticist, 
he did a bunch of testing and MRIs and EEGs and discovered that our son had this really rare chromosome deletion called 17Q12 microdeletion. And then um, I gave birth to my third. And then shortly after we got all this genetic testing back um, and learned that not only did my son have two chromosome abnormalities, but um, my oldest did as well, which was a shock because she seemed very neurotypical. Mm-hmm. Um, but as soon as she entered school, I realized that she wasn't, she was after she entered elementary school and, you know, in 2020, nothing in California was open. So she didn't actually go to elementary school until April of 2021. And that was the end of first grade for her. And that's when we discovered she was dyslexic and had really bad sensory processing issues. So, um, I, I've learned a lot in the last four years about neurodiversity. Um, but my son is the most impacted. He's six years old and he's Mm non-speaking. Um, he was diagnosed with autism and all those genetic diseases uh, about three weeks after I had my third child. So it's been kind of like a crazy four years. Yeah. Information like as a new mom and I was just kind of never is what I thought my journey would be. Of course, I don't think many people do. Mm -hmm. Um, but I, I honestly just feel like just now I'm kind of climbing out of this fog of diagnosis, 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 medical fragility. My son's constantly at the children's hospital. He has like 12 specialists and, Mm -hmm. um, my daughter as well has a lot of issues. She's really hard of hearing. She has dyslexia and all these things come with the chromosome abnormality. So, um, I think now it's taken me four years to accept it. I I was kind of like, no, this can't be true. Mm -hmm. And now that I've kind of entered the phase of acceptance, it feels a little easier. Um, and now I focus most of my time on advocacy because I've never really been subject to prejudice in my life, but watching the disparity of how my autistic son is treated versus his neurotypical siblings is, um, pretty drastic. And so my, my new venture in life is inclusion. And so I feel like talking about things like this, especially for people who only have neurotypical children and they're not exposed to to special needs kids every day, like my oldest, it's just a part of her life. So she is like, I feel like I've learned everything about inclusion from her. She's Hmm. brilliant, emotional brilliance. Um, but honestly, before I had a kid with special needs, I knew nothing. And so this is kind of like my new journey in life is to really bring awareness, not just awareness, but acceptance of autism. And so that people like my son are not looked at as intellectually disabled or weird, but just a variation of normal. (laughs) Yeah. Because that's what he does, you know? Yeah. You said that it was around two years old that he was regressing so much that they thought maybe he had had a stroke. That's when mm-hmm. they discovered the chromosomal abnormalities and then later the diagnosis of being on the autism spectrum. Is that correct? Did mm-hmm. I summarize yeah. that? Okay. I'm yeah. making sure I'm following. So was he like speaking at two and like all of that went away and now at six years old, like what are some of the major changes or what are some of the things that you would expect a neurotypical child at six to be doing or that, how is it different for your son? What does that look like? 
So in the medical world for autism, there are functional labels, but in the autism community, those functional labels are, it's evolving and people who are adult autistics who are maybe non-speaking or minimally speaking don't accept these functional labels because even though they can't fully communicate with words, they are not intellectually disabled. So I just wanted to preface that when I say my son's diagnosis, because I'm just saying it from a medical terminology. Um, My son was, had words, loved trucks and bubbles and Play-Doh and coloring and playing with his sister and all the things that my daughter did. So my doctor never had concerns. I never had concerns. And then he had this intense regression twice, actually. And um, it was the most... Uh, I don't know, grief stricken event of my life. I never dreamed like without an accident, like a car accident or brain damage that I would ever experience something like watching him go through that. And um, so now as a six-year-old, his functional level based from his neurologist and his doctors is a 12 month old. So he has mm-hmm. in the medical community uh, what they call severe autism But again, in the autism community, there's a lot of back and forth about this because adult autistics who are non-speaking are still cognitively at the same level as their peers. But we didn't know that until like 10 years ago, because now there are all these alternative forms of communication, like pictures on an iPad or spelling to communicate is really new where they can type on a keyboard or a letter board. And so just in the last decade, we're learning that severe is probably not the best way to describe an autistic person because um, their high needs is what like the new terminology is coming out. And, you know, the medical field always takes a little while to catch up on that because 20 years ago, my son would have been called the R word in the medical mm-hmm. community, would have been mentally mm-hmm. the R word. And now it's intellectually disabled, but I think they're starting to move away from that. So even though he's six years old, He's still in a pull-up and he cannot use words to speak or to communicate. So he uses uh, an AAC device, which is just augmentative communication. Um, And it's on an iPad. And we're working with an occupational therapist daily to work on spelling to communicate because he's not too keen on the iPad. He doesn't really like it, Um, Hmm. but he's brilliant. Uh, He has an iPad that he uses for... Um, recreation, I guess. And he's really into music and podcasts. I don't know why, but he's really into the Lauren Daigle music and podcasts. And That's he loves so it. sweet. He loves everything Lynn Man Manuel does, like loves it. So he has he's created his own playlist on like YouTube and Spotify. And like he's just so brilliant. But he can't speak. So he doesn't seem brilliant to the world. And mm. I feel like as his mom, I just need to tell people that that's inaccurate. Like, I know he doesn't look like what a typical boy looks like and he doesn't like what the typical boy likes, but he's not dumb mm. and um, he wants to be included. And I can just tell that he wants to be included, but it's hard when you have a non-speaking six-year-old, how a lot of people who have no experience with that are like, well, how do I include him? If I invite him to my son's birthday party, he's not going to participate. He's just going to sit there and listen to music. And I'm like, it's true, but that is like the goal of inclusion. It's not to be the same. It's to accept everybody's differences at the table. And my son's not going to play soccer with the boys at a birthday party, but he still needs to be included. So Mm. I'm harping on that these days. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. What, 
what would your dream be for Gunner? Like, what are your hopes for him as his mom as he grows up? Like, what? I mean, it's got to be such a hard thing because with neurotypical children, your hope is like they thrive and leave the nest one day and like do something great in the world. Yep. When you have a child with special needs, what is that like? And did you go through a lot of it? Sounds like you did, but do you continually have to grieve the picture of what you thought would be motherhood yeah. and what actually is? Or how has that played out? I think for all special needs moms, the biggest grief is at first diagnosis. And it takes years to go through that grief because, yeah, you have a little girl or a little boy and you have these. And I wouldn't even say expectations. It's just like, like what you said, they grow up, they go to college. It's not even like expectations for who they are. It's just like, that's just kind of the path everybody goes down. But when you have a special needs kid, you realize that that's not your path. And so there's like a big grief. And I would say with all types of grief, it doesn't really get easier, you know, but you, you, you equip yourself better. You, you gather more tools and then there's always micro grief, like watching my drop, my girls go to one school and my son goes to another school specific for um, kids with autism or autistic kids. And um, every day when I drop my girls off, there's like a little pinch because I just see boys his age there with them. Um, and every milestone missed or watching my four-year-old uh, just drastically surpass him and everything so quickly. All those things are just these huge griefs. My husband is more of like the hope for the best plan for the worst kind of person. He's mm -hmm. an Enneagram nine and I'm an eight. <laughs> so I'm more like, uh, no, we need a list and we need to be realistic here. So um, sometimes being a realist isn't helpful for your mental state when you're raising a kid with disabilities or with special needs. So it's a ton of grief. And the only thing I can say is, um, like for other moms who have kids with special needs or autistic children, you don't know until you know, you know what I mean? Like you just don't know until you know how difficult things are. Um, but yeah, it's a ton of grief and a lot of counseling. <laughs> yeah. Thank God for good therapists that are so helpful. Seriously. Yeah. 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 We'll get back to the conversation after this quick advertisement. If you follow me on Insta and get my weekly emails, you've probably heard me talk about RO recently. It's seriously helping me detach from my phone more than ever before. But what exactly is it? I'm glad you asked. RO is an app that pairs with a device to ensure you don't miss out on what's most important to you. Maybe like me, you get to the end of a day or a week or even a month sometimes, and you feel like you've wasted so much time scrolling, or you wish you could go back and spend time playing with your kids without multitasking and being on your phone. Or perhaps you want to read more books. Same. RO is one part app, one part home device. The home device is more than just a beautiful box. It doubles as a charging station and acts as a visual cue for you to put your phone down. Simply place your phone in the RO home device and the RO app automatically starts measuring the time you spend away from your phone. The app also shows you data to improve your phone habits and sends you reminders to take breaks from your phone. If like me, you want to be off your phone as much as possible and need a little motivation, RO is for you. For just $12 to $18 a month, RO is worth giving a try. 
That's about three to four bucks a week to have the opportunity for family dinners with no distraction, a vulnerable conversation with your spouse or kids, or to finally start reading that book that you may have not otherwise. Check it all out for yourself at goaro.com and get your first month free on an annual or two-year membership with code MANDA. Remember, when you change your relationship with your phone, you change your relationship with everyone around you, including yourself. Now, back to the show. What would you want to say specifically to moms with with neurotypical children who who haven't had your experience? What what would you want to just like grab them by the shoulders and shake them and tell them or or, or maybe that's like a harsh way of saying it, but like <laughs> lovingly tell them what, what would you, what yeah. would it be? So right now, my biggest thing that I'm harping on is inclusion because I don't feel like my, my son has never been invited to anything as his sisters are always invited, but unless it's a family thing, my son has never been invited to anything. So I, I get that question a lot. Like, what, what do I tell my kids about Gunner? What do I, when I, when they spend time with him, what should I prep them for? And I think, um, the person who's taught me the most on this is my oldest child. And so a lot of times in public, when people see my son, he'll be flapping his hands or jumping up and down. And he makes these very loud noises, but they're happy noises. <laughs> and they're very abrupt to some people. And they're like, oh my gosh, um, what is that? But to us, it's just like, oh, that's just what Gunner does. And I look at my oldest child and it's not, for her, it's not weird or crazy. And she'll just go up to my son and she'll start jumping with him and like hold his hands and high five him and just the joy in his eyes. And so I always tell people who have only neurotypical children just to have conversations with your kids because inclusion is so important. And Gunnar did not pick his life. Like he did not pick to have a missing part of his chromosome that results in being medically fragile and um, being autistic. None of those things is what like he chose just like, you know, you don't choose to have the color hair you have. And so I always tell my friends who have only neurotypical children, can you just expose your kids to disabilities? Because then it will be less weird. And Mm. I'm using their quotes because, you know, kids are kids and we, as a mother have to give our children the right words. Oh, I can see why you would think that's weird. You've never seen that before, but actually it's not Mm. weird. It's just, this is a variation of normal. And, um, Yeah. I think inclusion would be my biggest thing because so many people, when I take my son to the park are just like staring at him and then they're staring at me. Like, do you see what he's doing? Do you know? Mm. (laughs) I like want to wear a hat. Yes. I know that he's autistic. Yeah. Like I I see that too. It's almost uh, like you'd rather people acknowledge it and, and be like, Oh, Hey, can we play together? And just kind of strike up a conversation as you would in normal interactions that it doesn't yeah. have to be made to made out to be awkward. No. And I always tell people that like the first step in is um, like giving your kids the right words, obviously. But when, when you do have a child staring at a person who maybe is autistic or has cerebral palsy or down syndrome, because they've never seen it before, that's a really normal response from a kid to just kind of look and stare. And I think as parents, our knee jerk reaction is to be like, don't stare. Mm. But that kind of sends the message to these young kids, like, don't interact with that. Don't look at that. 
And while as parents, we mean well, it just sends the wrong message. So instead we can say to our kids, do you want to smile? Can you wave? Or do you want to say hi to her? Um, Things like that. And I just, I saw a really beautiful TikTok video the other day of a woman taking her son with really severe cerebral palsy on a walk. And she said a group of boys was across the street and they kept staring at her son. And she was about to say like, what are you looking at? Like, can you be nice? And then the boys came over and they were like, Hey, can we walk with you guys? And does he want to play with our remote control car with us? And just Mm. like little things like that, where I see, you know, little kids who could be bullies and they just, they turn around and be inclusive. And that's what I see in my daughter all the time. My daughter's like a heat seeking missile. Anytime she sees a kid who is in a wheelchair or is different. And that's, that's who she goes to. And that's not, I did not teach her that. That's just who she is. And so I feel like she's like my poster child for what to do. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, I love that. Beautiful. I know. I, get, I feel so privileged that I get like a front row seat to her mm-hmm. just changing the way kids view other kids who are different. Yeah. So beautiful. It's so great when we can learn from our kids and <laughs> oh, I love that. Um, what, what would your advice be if you have maybe a show or a book or any podcast or any recommendations, if we want to expose our children more to kids who are, I believe you said it as neurodivergent. I think there's a couple of terms. So I'm not like the, I'm not the best person for all the terms because there's so many, um, neurodiverse and neurodivergent. I think neurodiverse is for people who are like, um, they don't have delays, but they are like my daughter. She has, okay. and then the neurodivergent are the children who are autistic or okay. maybe have something else going on. So, okay. Yes. Mm-hmm. okay. So if we want to expose our kids to kids that do have a different life than them and different struggles than them and different strengths <laughs> than them. Yeah. Where can we turn? So, I mean, unless you know people personally, it might be hard. I would I would say so many of my friends have been Marco polling me and calling me and texting me lately and talking about, you know, their huge pull and conviction to invite the people they know who have autistic children to dinner. And that makes my heart so happy because I don't have a platform on Instagram. So these are just like my friends mm. and just listening to that. It's so impactful for me. And even my my best friend from college, her mom told me a story about going to Disneyland and seeing a kid who she could tell is autistic and just approaching that child and his mom and just engaging with them. And so if you don't have people in your immediate circle, I would really say to, to branch out, to be inclusive and to offer to bring dinner or to for them to come over for dinner. And, and if you're, if that's not possible, I would just honestly there's so many books out there now and there are so many um, TV shows and even Instagram accounts where you see people taking care of their children. Um, there's a new documentary that just came out called Spellers and it chronicles the journey of uh, a couple of parents here on the West Coast uh, learning that their non-speaking autistic children as teenagers who they thought were intellectually just um, a four-year-old were actually brilliant and they only learned that wow. through the process of spelling. Yeah. And one of them is local and she's like, I want to call her. I wish she was my best friend. 
I'm always like, can I tell people we're friends? Um, but she's the person, she's the practitioner that does the spelling with these children. Mm-hmm. And so, um, having her local is a huge blessing, but I would just say things like that. You can expose yourself and then learn how to teach your children to kind of, um, not think kids who look different or flap their hands or rock back and forth or cannot speak that they're not weird. And they want to be loved and respected and included just as much as everybody else. And special needs spans all race, religion, everything. So I feel like it's really important, you know, to talk about it because it affects all of us. Yeah. Yeah. I'm so glad that we got to have this conversation. And my hope is that people listening, that it just serves as a reminder the next time you're at the park and you do see a child who probably is on the spectrum or you see a child who's behaving in a way that's very different from something you're used to seeing that instead of staring or instead of being like telling your child, like you said, to look away to, and to not stare, to, to engage with them and to include them. I think this is just such a beautiful reminder. Um, it's one of those things that probably for those of us who don't have, uh, any person with special needs close in our life, we, it's not top of mind. And so my hope in building longer tables and today specifically is that this will just remind all of us um, not to look away, but to invite, to be inclusive, to seek out, to look in the eyes, to say hello. Um, It's a small (laughs) thing, but I know it means a lot, not only to that child or that person, but to the parent, to the caregiver that's with them. Um, So thank you for being open about your journey with motherhood the grief that's been involved, but also the learning and where you're at today. It's really beautiful. Oh, and thank you for having this conversation because I think it's really important that we all do this. 